almost everybody I know who runs a business at some point has had to fire somebody and they say they should have done it weeks, months, years earlier. Uh, and it's never an easy thing to do, but when you do it, you always think, why didn't I not just do this when I first realized it was time to do it? I sometimes read those business books from, about people like, uh, was it Phil Knight, the founder of Nike and Steve Jobs and whatever. And I read them and I enjoy the stories, but I think, boy, is that not the life for me, what they've done with this all-consuming thing with massive responsibility. And, and in the case of Phil Knight, all these legal fights he was going through all the time and, and always on the verge of bankruptcy because uh, the way they're growing their business too fast or they're, they're subject to economic and competitive whims well beyond their control. So I like those books, but it was very easy to say they're not my business heroes and to know the ones that were my business heroes. Hello and welcome to the Gross Profit Podcast. My name is James Kennedy. I run procurementexpress.com with my co-founder, Rich. Uh, we take the hassle out of managing company spend with magical features, but we're not here to talk about that today. Instead, I've invited along Steve McLeod, who actually runs featureupvote.com. It's a tool that we have been using for many years, and it helps you to gather user feedback on your SaaS software product. So actually, if you're a competitor, please don't go and log in and see all the awesome ideas our customers are coming up with for our product. And if you are, happy Christmas, uh, because it's a great way for us to gather feedback and then try and funnel that back into creating a magical product. But that's actually not why he's here today. We're gonna talk a little bit at the end about how Steve is branching out to help you build the dream business. I'm putting his words in his mouth now. Um, so Steve, we're gonna talk about that at the end. So thanks very much for coming along. Uh, hello, and maybe you could just tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, James. Hi, everybody. Thanks for having me on the show. It's an honor to be here. Yes, as, as you've said, I run Feature Upvote. I'm the founder of that. Our snazzy um, catch line for it is we let your customers openly suggest and upvote improvements to your product. I worked hard on getting that, that pitch just right. Um, and in fact, even before we launched, I had that pitch. I've never forgotten it. Uh, I've been doing this for seven years now. We just entered 2024, seventh year of doing this. I never realized I'd be doing it for so long. Before that, I ran a consumer app, which I also created, and that got acquired a few years ago. In fact, the money from that was what allowed me to get Feature Upvote off the ground. And before that, I once ran an IT consultancy that was supposed to be a software business. We were supposed to be creating a software product. It accidentally became a consulting business. And I learned a lot of lessons from that about what I do and don't want in a business. And all of those experiences shaped Feature Upvote to become the product it is today. And it's really, really nice to be talking to a satisfied customer, by the way. <laughs> yeah, we're very, we didn't, we, figuring out what to do with the suggestions is the hard part, but at least we have them, step one, you know? Um, so listen, this is a really interesting topic we come up with today. You should listen to this podcast if you want to hear about some unsung heroes, peer, people that I and Steve really admire, people who have, I would consider in many instances to have built dream businesses, but not the ones you've probably read about in the headlines, not the Elon Musk or the Jeff Bezos. These are people for me anyway, who have built what I would consider to be a dream life. Maybe we'll have to get them on and see if it's true, but from the outside, certainly they've made a lot of great moves. And some of them in my cases have really had a big influence on 
what I consider what I'm trying to do with my business and my life more broadly, which, um, and that's why we're going to talk about. So we have six awesome examples to come up with and talk about. How did you find, did this, was this easy to come up with your SMB business hero, Steve, or did you have to think about it a little bit? It was surprisingly easy. In fact, I had to stop and think, why is this so easy? Am I not doing this properly? I sometimes read those business books for, about people like, uh, was it Phil Knight, the founder of Nike and Steve Jobs and whatever. And I read them and I enjoy the stories, but I think, boy, is that not the life for me, what they've done with this all-consuming thing with massive responsibility. And, and in the case of Phil Knight, all these legal fights he was going through all the time and and always on the verge of bankruptcy because uh, the way they're growing their business too fast or they're, they're subject to economic and competitive whims well beyond their control. So I like those books, but it was very easy to say they're not my business heroes and to know the ones that were my business heroes. Yeah, and, and sometimes I've seen that in sports people as well, like people who were very high achieving when I was a kid in the sports I was in, the people who were amazing, sometimes they were messed up off the pitch, you know, like they were amazed. They sacrificed absolutely everything, but you know, you wouldn't necessarily want to go for a beer with some of these guys. There were machines, you know, absolute machines. So let's, let's dive in. Who, uh, who jumps to mind first or who's at the top of your list in terms of your SMB business hero? I'm going to say Rob Walling. He is somebody very well known to people running bootstrap SaaS companies, uh, in a particular world, but not well known, I think, to people with, uh, big corporations. He has come to be kind of, uh, I don't know, what you say he's like the emperor of the podcasting space of this type of podcast. But what I like about him is he's outwardly very successful. He created a B2B SaaS. He, uh, it got acquired. I think out of it, he got to be very financially, um, comfortable, but he's still working hard. But what I really admire about Rob is that he is humble enough to admit publicly that he does have problems. I just listened to him recently on his own podcast talk about how he was facing burnout earlier this year. Like These are the type of things where we tend to keep concealed, right? And publicly, we tell everybody we're doing great, our business is doing great, we're doing great, et cetera. And when things are not so going, going so great for us mentally or in other ways, we tend to just be quiet about it. And I'm, I, was re I really admire that from time to time, he says, hey, I do have these problems in my life, in my business, et cetera. And I think that that's a real humility that is uh, rare to find in somebody who's had business success. Yeah, and I think the unlock that gives him that ability is the fact that he is totally bootstrapped, that's my opinion. Like if you move to a funded world, you've got to have the glad hands on all the time. From the second you talk to your first investment banker to a VC, it's sell, sell, sell. And if you've built a business basically by yourself, you kind of don't have that. Uh, in a lot of cases, you don't have that pressure. You can relax a little bit more and just, you know, be honest. Because if you was, if you used the, maybe Elon Musk is the exception to that because God knows he's crazy and he'll say whatever is in his mind. But every other publicly sort of funded CEO has to have this like button down persona and everyone's always complaining that they don't really say anything interesting and that's because they can't because the half the world would fall apart if they could but do you think that's part of it or do you think it's part of his personality or what uh definitely if you're if you're the ceo of a of a publicly listed company there's actually legal responsibility 
about affected by the things you say. Uh, but you know, there's plenty of companies that are not have not taken investment or have just taken small investment, in which they still always portray this up, 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 happy, happy, happy uh, image. And and perhaps Rob did do that while Drip was on. I really don't recall. Uh, but certainly I know of, by listening to his own podcast and hearing him speak at conferences, I've heard him plenty of times talk about other things. And I think, so I think it is kind of unique. Yes, yes, bootstrapping does make it easier to be more honest and open, but partly it's also personality uh, and choosing to do that. And when somebody who is quite prominent in a particular field or circle does that, it almost gives other people permission to also admit that they're having problems from time to time. Yeah, absolutely. It makes it relatable. Um, and, you know, um, we, we all put our trousers on one leg at a time. That's the expression, right? Sometimes you forget. That's a great one. I really got something out of that. Okay, let me let me go with my first one. So my first one is easy to talk about because it's genuinely one of the biggest influences I've ever had. It's not a tech entrepreneur. It's a guy called Brody Sweeney. And he created a chain of sandwich bars that at its height had thousands of bars all around the world. So a very successful, successful guy. And I was lucky enough to get to know him kind of when he was coming up. I was dating his babysitter and then I used to hang out with their family. And the interesting thing was, um, not that he was super successful, but like he had a beautiful wife and three beautiful kids. And every summer he would take a month off, go to the west of Ireland. And even though he had... I'm guessing maybe tens of thousands of people responsible in his business. He still had like a month off, um, you know, to just spend with his family every, every, every month in the beautiful West of Ireland. It's very rainy out there, but it's nice. And in addition to that, his wife was amazing. Lulu sweet, Lulu Sweeney, she, or Lulu Sullivan rather, she ran her own business, which was, very successful in its own right. It was a hamper business. It was very, and they had all these like big things which like, wow, you must like, your life must be hell if you run all these things. But they had managed, in my eyes anyway, to have the great kids, have time off, set the priorities. Um, and, you know, they had seemingly had it, had it all. And he was interviewed, you know, back in the 90s on television. And the big thing I got from him was that, you know, in his 20s, he was an abject failure by any measure. You know, he had tried two businesses, they had failed. Um, he, his dad, unfortunately, passed away, never getting to see any of his success. Um, he was on in his 30s. He had this two two sandwich bars, which he absolutely hated, and were going nowhere. And at that time, all of his School friends were starting to get into middle management, driving beamers around the place, you know, having a, starting to do well. And he had, he was literally crying outside his second sandwich bar in the morning, hating going in. And then in the, in his forties, it all changed around it. All the, all the success came. And that gave me the reason I take a lot from that is it sometimes it takes time. Sometimes you hit in your twenties. Sometimes, maybe, you know, uh, every now and again, it hits in your 30s, but you're far more likely, actually, you know, the job of becoming and starting being an entrepreneur is often a 15, 20-year apprenticeship. And that's what I took from, you know, and he's definitely my biggest my biggest hero when I think of that. That's really interesting. I'm going to look him up after, after we finish talking. I find it interesting that you highlighted that he took a month off Am I right in assuming that's a struggle for you? How to take 
time off from your business? Is that why you was that why you admire him? Well, yeah, and you know, two years ago I started doing this. So, last, you know, two years ago I went to Costa Rica, no work whatsoever. In July last year, we were in Thailand and Vietnam. You know, um, and I've and, this, and there were, it was only two. I'm forty seven, forty eight this year, so it's it's only many years later I've managed to do it. But uh, that was always a goal, you know. And because he did it, I was like, okay, well, if he can do it, I can. It must be possible for me to do it because I have like twenty staff. So there you go. Uh, I really like that. Uh, it's a struggle also with myself to take time off. And even when I take time off, my brain still keeps thinking about the business all the time. Yeah. A, bi a big change for me that happened was my mom died and my dad works very hard and always has worked very hard. And mom was always kind of waiting for, for dad to finish work so they could retire successfully and so on. And once I saw that firsthand, you know, she never got the chance effectively, not, you know, no, no fault to my dad. It was just the way the world is, but that was the wake up call for me. And that was what made the difference. I'm more, a lot more hedonistic than I used to be, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Hedonistic. Yeah. That's one way of describing it, but it is true that we have to remember why you're doing the business. Are you running the business for the sake of running it? Or I'm a big believer in not pushing those things out until one day, but doing them today. And in fact, actually a good part of my 30s, I did way too much travel and spent way too much money <laughs> on that, uh, like months at a time. And uh, and that was because uh, I'd seen that my family hadn't been able to do that. It was always this one day thing until they were too old and too sick. So it's like, I'll do it today. Um, I don't think you were wrong to do that. Personally, I think that sounds pretty good. You know. Okay, who have you got next? Who's next on your list? Well, this is a really, really good connection to the next person, which is Laura Roder. She's an American living in the UK who also runs a small B2B SaaS. Well, I think it's B2B. She runs a, a SaaS product anyway. It's her second one. The first one was acquired. And uh, she actually took, uh, I think, six months off, her and her husband and the children, to travel the world while running the business. With it and uh, like how they managed to make it work, I I don't know because uh, I have travelled just one week these days uh, with the whole family doing stuff like trying to keep it all together while travelling. Um, but what I like about Laura, apart from that, that's just an anecdote, is that she has a very no nonsense way of looking at business problems. Um, I first heard her speak at Business of Software, I think it was in 2017. I had just launched Feature Upvote and she was, all of, the, of all the speakers there, the one I connected to the most because she described the business that pretty much was how I wanted my own business to be. So I remember like thinking, this, this is the talk I'm taking all the notes down from. Um, an example of her no-nonsense, get-straight-to-the-problem attitude. So... I, I hear you're you're a developer by trade, right? You've come likewise, and we tend to worry about things that are not important. Us developers, when we run our business, one of them is making sure like the HTML source of it, when you do a view source of a page looks well formatted, like completely irrelevant. And we spend hours or weeks even debating for the right way to create a blog. What's that site generator? What version of Markdown to use? What should the CSS look like? And her approach in one of these conversations on this very topic was just use WordPress. Well, you guys are spending weeks debating on how you're going to get the right static site generator to generate the right content so it, so it, it 
makes the developer aesthetic happy for people looking at view source, she's just going to have 20 articles already published in WordPress. And when she's finding freelancers to work with, they know how to use WordPress. It's just done. Whereas I made the mistake of using a static site generator and I had to take the content my content person was creating and manually convert it myself into Markdown and store it in Git and so on. So that's an example of, of just coming at the problem saying like, there's a whole lot of stuff it doesn't need to be worried about in business and a whole lot of stuff that does need to be worried about. Let's worry about the stuff that needs to be worried about. And the other one, just go and do it the easiest possible way. Laura Roder is an absolute machine, absolute machine. And uh, I saw her give a talk in 2022 or 2020, I think. And it was all about how she um, made business decisions. And she is absolutely fearless. I'll tell you for the things, the things that are hard, the hardest thing that I find is definitely, and what keeps me up at night is decisions around retrenchment or um, you know, hard decisions that need to be made around business. And related to this podcast a little bit, this often comes up when it comes to, you know, you're looking at cost savings. Sometimes people are, the job of the finance team is to make cost savings. And sometimes that involves people. And they, that's the, the number one most painful thing any business owner I feel like has to do. Laura is an absolute machine. She had a very, very successful business and she's talked public publicly about this and it's on YouTube. She decided that the business wasn't growing. So she just let, let the team go basically, you know, she said, this business isn't, isn't going. What's the point if we're working on this and we're not making it grow. So she let the entire team go uh, and was brave enough to do that. And then moved on, sold that business and did something else. Incredible, um, you know, I, I'm not saying that I would like to let my team go far from it. And in case any of your team is watching this, you should probably emphasize this is not what you're planning to do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But uh, but incredible bravery. That's it. An incredibly yeah. brave yeah. person, you know. Um, and that, that's a really because no one's going to give you a high five. Oh, well done. You just let go twenty people go or whatever. No one's. That's not a brave. It's not a vain thing to do. It's not a. It's not a um, popular thing to do. Like almost no one would praise you for that, but it's incredibly brave if it was right for the business, you know? And, um, you know, I think in, in all instances, maybe apart from one, all those people that went on have found better positions. I think I've heard her talk about that as well, um, which often case is the case if, you know, in a business. So that just honesty and bravery alone blew me away. And, you know, you can, I'll put the link in, in the, podcast here, but um, you can find her talk about this online. It, it was really mind blowing to me. Great choice. Can I just add on that um, example of letting the thing go? I know other people who have done this, but are not brave enough to go on the public record as saying it. Like they, they did it, but they would never say it in public. So I think there's that bravery there. I've been willing to own that and say it publicly. And the other thing I wanted to say is Almost everybody I know who runs a business at some point has had to fire somebody and they say they should have done it weeks, months, years earlier. Uh, and it's never an easy thing to do. But when you do it, you always think, why didn't I not just do this when it was when I first realized it was time to do it? Yeah, 100 percent. cliche. We all kind of know it. But then that's the, that's the actually maybe the lesson there is, you know, the, the part that you know the the people in the business is actually the kind of hardest part if you have fantastic people things are a dream but if you're going to have one 
sort of pebble in your shoe or whatever. It's just not a fit. It's not that they're bad people. It's just they're in the wrong place at the wrong time in their life or whatever. It can throw everything off. Look, I feel a sense of responsibility to people working for me, but I have to make sure that doesn't cloud my judgment. It's like my, not my responsibility to make sure they have a job their whole life. Like I'm offering them a job at this point in time with the task I have. I find it hard to tell myself, okay, it's not my responsibility for their whole career. Okay, well, let's go from my, my first pick was someone who uh, employed tens of thousands of people maybe. Um, my second pick is someone who per, on purpose uh, implies a, employs a small handful of people. Um, and this is someone we, you and I both know, it's called Robin Warren, and he um, runs a software company called Corello. And what Corello does is it specializes in creating plugins for Trello. So Trello is a productivity tool that lots of people use, it's very popular. Um, but the reason he's my SMB business hero is because of the way he runs his life. So there's a thread here maybe in my picks. But um, Trello has, uh, Corello rather, has been running easily more than 10 years now, I think. Uh, it has been very successful in terms of hitting, you know, his broadly, his financial goals, etc. cetera. Um, he works with a very small group of people that he really enjoys working with, an engineer and maybe one other person. And, you know, he really has it. Um, and, you know, well, this is all hearsay here just for my conversations with Robin, but I'm going to par paraphrase, which is that really he plans his life and his work is part of his life. So he works a certain number of days a week. Uh, he lives in Devon in the UK. And um, I asked him, well, what do you do with the rest of the time? Because I'm kind of like a bit of a workaholic. Like if I'm not working, what am I doing? And I'm like, yeah, that's great. You can work for two days a week. But, you know, what? What then? And he says, well, you know, uh, I'm learning how to wakeboard. I'm going for walks. I'm spending doing this with my kids. I'm teaching my kid how to do this. I'm doing whatever. And I was like, yeah, whatever, whatever. You know, like we all say we're doing those things, but, you know, raising your kids, really, how much time do you want to spend doing that? Um, and then he was like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm learning the piano. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm learning piano. And we started talking about it. And I was like, I'm learning piano. And I'm like, yeah, I can do like Chopsticks and maybe Imagine by John Legend, Le um, John Lennon. And then um, and he goes, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I'm, I'm now pretty good at this. And I've got an audio visual section here. And he started playing this. This is... Uh, Emily, and um, basically, it's a really complicated song in my book, right? And I was like, "Oh wow, you can play that!" And he said, "Yeah, yeah, I can play this, no problem." You know, I, every now and I make someone cry, and I'm like, "Wow, you can make people cry with the piano!" And I was like, <laughs> "Okay, that's a different level, right?" So he is living. He's not just saying, "Oh, I'm going to work three days and then I'm going to be whatever." He's actually said, "Okay, yeah, I'm going to work two days a week and then I'm going to, you know, and you know what? I'm I'm actually learning the piano. I'm actually spending time with my kids. I'm actually doing wakeboarding." And he's he's my next business hero for that reason. A really good choice. I also know Robin. I had him on my own podcast a couple of times. And it was always good to talk to. I'm not actually doing much of my podcast anymore, but when I did, it tended to feature people running very small bootstrapped software companies. And I really liked the ones, the stories of people living in small towns or villages even, where like it's not it's not where you think there's a software industry, but there's this person living life there. The neighbors probably have no idea what the person does. But, you know, it's, it's just such a nice pace of life, especially if at the point of having children. Yeah, well, that's a biggie. I think that's the transformative one, you know. Like I, b before I was 
in truth, playing house in business before I had my kids. I was making, getting by, you know, a lot of people say, oh, I can't run a business because I have kids. But it was, for me, it was the total opposite. I was messing around until I had kids. I was like, ooh, now this is serious. <laughs> now we better make this work, you know? Yeah, 100% my situation too. Really changed my ambition level and what I wanted to get out of the business. Now it wasn't like, oh, this is something to do to pass the time. It's now like, well, this is to give my family uh, a, a safe future. All right, so let's uh, round it up. I think you're on your last pick, Dan. Who are you going to finish out with? So I've gone a little bit tricky on this one. There's actually some people I've got to learn, got to meet over the years who intentionally don't have a public persona about their business. They're not on social media, or at least they lurk. They don't write. They don't go on podcasts. They don't blog. Uh, maybe they have no employees or just one or two. And they're typically anonymous. And in fact, one or once or twice, I asked these people like this to be on my podcast. And I'm like, nah, I don't want people to know what I'm doing. And I guess it takes what you've mentioned with Robin even to a, a, another level. So, so I, my third person is an amalgam of these people. Uh, the, they run their business really well, but they have, they know what they're capable of, of their own skill level combined with their own ambition plus their own level of risk tolerance. And they've said, well, given all that, where I'm at is where I'm at and I'll run the business as, as efficiently as possible, but I want to also have plenty of time for other things. So for example, one guy I know, he works two hours a day. He has a couple of people working for him and he spends the afternoon playing computer games and playing guitar and doing sports. Another one I know also plays guitars, chases eclipses around the world, wherever there's a big eclipse event going, he gets there if he can, uh, uh, plays tennis a lot. Another one, actually, <laughs> he put his company on autopilot and went off and did another job for a couple of months, a completely unrelated job just for the sake of doing something new. And his, his, um, his customers never knew while he was away, he continued to get new customers. The support is very low and he was able to manage that himself just, you know, once or twice a week answering an email. And to some degree, to some degree, it seems like what they call a lifestyle business. And to some degree, it seems like a very enviable lifestyle. And why, why again, why I've chosen these people is because they've really made it clear what they wanted. We all tend to, by default, just think we have to grow. We, we have to take every opportunity. Uh, we have to go up market and therefore we need to expand uh, our team and start doing the complicated features and we need to look for new markets and so on. And these people, this amalgam, this amalgam person who said, enough is enough, this is all I want and I don't want the extra stress and I don't want the challenges, I don't want the risk that comes with that, that's my third person of business hero. I'm sorry I can't name names, but the whole point that they choose not to be uh, public in this business world is part of the reason why I chose them. That's having the brave. I think that reminds me of brave, bravery, like brave to be brave enough just to not do the thing everyone expects you to do, which is to grow more revenue, do more things, have more people, be more important. How many people, like how many times do you meet someone and they say, well, how many people are on your team? It's like some sort of 
um, proxy for, you know, you know, I don't want to say something rude on the podcast, but like, it's, it's, it's kind of a, it's a gun show, right? It's a, like, how big is yours? My gun is bigger than your gun. I think everybody knows what word we would, we were, we're not using. Yeah. It's, is your graph up to the right? How's business? Somebody asks me. And if I'm not saying up and to the right, it's like, they're like, oh, well, what are you going to do about that? It's like nothing. Like <laughs> It's a good answer, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, the last pick I have is um, he's an influencer, actually, and it's someone I just only came across recently, but he had a big impact on my 2024, I hope. He's a guy called um, Jerry Itzler, and Jerry has a very eclectic background. So he sold a fractional jet business to Warren Buffett's NetJets. It, you know, his wife is, uh, as far as I know, a billionaire. She created something called Spanx, which I don't know if you're familiar with, but they are a um, type of clothing that makes you look good, apparently. And um, she was massively successful at that, literally billion-dollar business. Jer um, um, Jerry himself has you know, had multiple exits, five exits. So he's kind of antithetical to all of the guys we've been talking about earlier. Sorry, Jesse, not Jerry. Um, but he's doing something which is very cool, which is you're designing your your dream life. And it's, you know, we've just come, it's just past New Year's here and when we're recording. And the typical thing is to, you know, do a review, maybe set some goals that no one pays any attention to. And he has a different approach, which is uh, he calls a misogi. So a misogi is a Japanese inspired word, which means the thing that defines that year right so for if you have kids it'll probably be 2013 and 2015 maxim zoe for me if you if you have a kid and you succeed that's a defining enough thing for any any person and um, but then he encourages you to think okay well 2024 what's the thing that's going to be defining in this year is what when you say 2024 what's going to be the thing that you will look back and say oh in 2024 i whatever, you know. So for me, it's going to Japan, which is a lifelong bucket list item. And he says, okay, well, put that in your calendar. So like, put that in your calendar. And then he has like, four, and his next step is like, okay, after that, what four habits would you like to add? Positive habits that nudge you in the right direction. So once a quarter, a new habit, and then put that in your calendar. And then who do you want to hang out with? Like your kids? How often do you want to do it? Put that in your calendar, you know, uh, on all the way down to your friends and whatever. And it, I found it to be a very refreshing way of planning your year rather than just, oh, I should be better at chess and I should be able to play the piano and I should be whatever. And it's like, no, what could I get really excited about? And um, Jesse's stuff is really good. So I really admire that. And I also admire, again, another theme. His wife is so awesome as well. I like having awesome wives in my examples. So that's part of why I picked him. Therefore, it's the reason why you have an awesome wife. You've been inspired by other people to do this. Yeah, yeah. He says modestly. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> what I what I like about that story is the idea that there's one thing to define the year. Like, it's so easy just, yeah, like you said, just to kind of say, oh, I want to be better at stuff. I really like this. It actually ties in really well to what I'm doing this year with my business coaching. I hadn't thought about it, but I think I want this to be the year in which I get my business coaching off the ground. I really like that that idea. Oh, again, I'll have to look them up afterwards. Okay, well, that brings us on nicely then to your your business coaching. So, you've you've got this experience. You've got real life hands on experiences with multiple businesses. Uh, I'll give you a counterpoint. The idea of trying to coach someone else to do all this stuff puts a shiver down my spine. I'm like, 
how, you know, you can tell people to do stuff, but they're not ready to hear it, et cetera, et cetera. So what, what makes you interested in this and who are you, who could you really help? Who would be your dream client? If you like. That's a really good question, especially the first part of the chill down your, your spine. So when I was actively running my own podcast and we also had a discussion forum, uh, to go with that, people actually started contacting me in private and asking me questions. If one episode in which we talked about pricing, I think I even issued a challenge there to people in that episode to, if they had tiered pricing, to just try as an experiment for one month to hide the cheapest pricing from their website requires no work except, you know, five minutes of, I don't know, if you know CSS, like display none or something like that. And somebody wrote to me and said he tried that and he had his best month ever for, for business. Uh, and it actually got me thinking like, oh, I kind of am coaching people. Why don't I make this more formal? I enjoyed that. I enjoyed like chatting with people about their problem and helping it. And pricing is the one that came up over and over. People would ask me about uh, just feedback on a price rise. And usually they knew the answers, right? But they were scared to commit to it. Or, or there were three different options on something you could do, a new marketing campaign. And I just asked them to tell me about the pros and cons of the three. And then afterwards, I'd say, well, it sounds to me pretty much like you know which one's the best one. And they go like, uh, X, right? Uh, content marketing. Like, well, you said it, not me. So a lot of coaching, I think, is just helping people decide for themselves. It's not making decisions for them. But helping them, I mean, we've all, we've all watched the same podcasts and read the same books and gone to the same conference talks telling us about all these ways we can improve our business. But this is helping people after they've done that decide which path, which path is the right for them at this point in time. And, and often it's just about talking through the options and realizing it. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, that's nice. It's a great way to connect with people. And would it be, uh, people are running technology businesses, like who would be the, the real sweet spot? Would they be a certain size of business where, what stage would they be at? Or tell us a bit more about what your dream client would be. So the ideal customer, the ideal client coaching client is a running a B2B SaaS. I say B2B because B2C is not my wheelhouse. I don't know much about that. It's B2B is really a real focus myself. Uh, SaaS, because you, like any business, you need to know your ideal customer and very, very focused. So uh, I would prefer them to be bootstrapped or mostly bootstrapped. So if you've taken venture capital, I'm not the person who can help you. But if you're doing this on your own dime, investing your own money or family money, that I understand. And that's where I can help. Uh, if you're particularly wanting your business to be something in which you are not succumbing to stress all the time, that's where I can help. I try very hard to keep stress low in my own business. And that's, I think a lot of business people just get used to living under stress all the time and it's unnecessary. So I'm also wanting to help people who want to keep the stress low or make the stress low. In terms of revenue, so actually, when I first announced that I was going to do this coaching, I got some inquiries very quickly, but there were um, zero revenue. They basically wanted somebody to help them get a business off the ground. And I realized that's not what I want to do. That's such a risky, difficult time in a business. I want a business that to help people where at least they're getting some revenue, have already the basics of a stream of you know, trial customers coming in and some of them converting to paid. So there's actually something there to work with. Otherwise, uh, I think there's too much you have to solve yourself before you can really expect a coach to help you get a business to go from zero to one. 
there's so much growth that needs to require. I mean, that's why I like business. It requires personal growth, but there's that zero to one growth level. It's that's the thing that cuts out 99% of people yeah. straight away, you know, and it's like a red pill. I don't know if red pill is the right thing, but it's a certain thing you need to, it's a certain piercing the veil. It's not necessarily hard, but it's just a total mindset shift and you need someone who's at least that level. Exactly. Once you've got there, you realize a whole lot of the stuff you thought was right about how business works is not right at all. Yeah. And look, we've all, I, I'm guessing you and most of the people listening to this podcast have tried nine businesses before they got to number 10 that worked, right? And, and that's the reality is 90% or more of attempts just won't even get off the ground. And so, so yeah, that's not something I can help with. But if you've already got the revenue coming in, at least at a modest level, and uh, you're now um, wanting that coach to help you in the growth of the of the company plus yourself and managing the mental game of all, and it's a B2B SaaS and it's bootstrapped or mostly bootstrapped, then I can help. Okay, well, for sure. If you're listening to this and you're interested in all the terrible businesses that I started before doing this, um, I wouldn't recommend it, but leave a comment and I'll definitely talk to you about them or maybe buy you a beer. It might be more less pleasure, more pleasurable. Um, but what I'd like to do is finish up by asking uh, people to... I'm really interested in this format of business heroes. Like my sort of... One of my methodologies is that pick a hero. Like if you want to be, let's say, a millionaire, you can be or billionaire, I don't know. You could be like a pop star, you can be a lawyer, you can be a SaaS founder, you can be an engineer, you can be a politician. There's many different ways of doing it, um, if that's what you want. But like picking the avatar is very powerful for me because you see, okay, that person, they did it, therefore maybe maybe I can do it, you know? And you can kind of make it all more realistic. And rather than saying, you know, and then you can pick the advice that's most suitable to you. So if you are listening to this and you have a business hero, I would love to hear the name. I'd love you to email me, james.kennedyapprocurementexpress.com or leave a comment if you're watching on YouTube or leave a comment anywhere else on our social platforms. Um, and maybe if you have three of them, you can come on the show and I can hear about some of them and we can have a chat about our business heroes because I think there's a lot to be had of it. Steve, you are an absolute star. I really enjoyed this chat. Thank you so, so much for coming on. And um, yeah, maybe we'll chat again sometime. It's been a pleasure, James.